0: Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. You have to have faith in God. When you ask for a miracle, you have to have faith that God can work miracles and that God is going to work a miracle in order to receive it. Likewise, if there is unrepented sin in our lives, we don't have to be perfect to receive a miracle, but we can't be walking in sin that we haven't repented of. If there's unrepentant sin in our lives, God is not going to hear our prayers and they will not be answered. And so, what's the solution? If there's sin in your life, repent. Turn away from that sin. If there's unbelief, start believing. Don't doubt. Turn away from that unbelief and believe when you pray. And finally, the last response that you may get from God is when God says no. You know, that's an answer to prayer. Because I didn't get an answer to my prayer. Well, you did get an answer. God said no. You know, children are like that. Daddy, can I have this? No. Daddy, can I have this? You're not giving me an answer. No. See, they don't understand the answer. No. And sometimes we, as God's children, don't understand the answer no. Why would God say no to a prayer that we ask Him for something, a prayer request? Well, God will say no when the request is not according to His will. We pray sometimes according to our will, what we want. But if what we want is not what God has for us, God is going to say no. 1 John 5.14 says, so this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And of course, the implication is, if we ask anything not according to His will, He doesn't hear us. And He's not going to answer the prayer. The only prayers that God hears are things that are in keeping with His will. And so, as a believer, we need to remember that no is an answer, from God, and it's for our own good. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about when God said no to the Apostle Paul, even though he prayed for something repeatedly. Now, to understand our passage this morning, it's a little hard to just jump into this passage, uh, which is found in 2 Corinthians 12. We need to place it in context. In the chapters around 2 Corinthians chapters 10 through 13, Paul is writing to warn the Corinthians about false apostles. And these false apostles were boasting about their great revelations. They were boasting about their great spiritual power. They were boasting about how wonderful their preaching was. And not only did they boast about themselves, but they criticized Paul. They said, Paul is not a genuine apostle. He doesn't talk about these great revelations that he has and tell you about them. Paul doesn't speak very well. He's not a trained speaker. Paul is weak. He's had a lot of trials in his life, a lot of sufferings. You know, a great apostle like us, we don't have those type of trials. But Paul, look at him. He's been beaten up and shipwrecked and all these things. He's, he's not much of an apostle. And so in response, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, immediately before the chapter we're looking at this morning, Paul begins to, quote, boast about himself. But he wasn't boasting about his strengths, as the false apostles did. He was boasting about his weaknesses. He boasted about the sufferings that he had to go through, the persecutions that he had to endure. In one of your in your uh, handout in the bottom, one of the things I suggest this week is read the whole section of scripture from Second Corinthians chapter ten through thirteen so that you can get a, a sense of the whole context of what we're talking about this morning. So let's begin with 2 Corinthians twelve. We're gonna look at verses one through ten this morning. We're gonna learn we shouldn't boast about our own greatness and how wonderful we are. Now Paul says in verse 1, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. So we're going to see that Paul is not really boasting as the false apostles were boasting. This is is really a form of sarcasm. Uh, He's saying, you guys boast? Well, I'm going to boast now. You boast in your strengths, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. He's trying to show the wrongness of their boasting In their so called revelations. The things that these false apostles were teaching from the revelations were not in keeping with the Word of God, with the Scriptures, and they were false. Paul goes on to show that some revelations are not to be shared. Verse 2 to 4 I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. And so Paul here is describing himself, kind of in a third person, as a man in Christ who is caught up to this third heaven. What is the third heaven? Well, in the Bible, the first heaven is the sky, the clouds, everything we see, the second heaven... Is the stars, the planets, everything out there. And the third heaven is heaven. It's the place where God dwells. It's As we see here, it's paradise. And so Paul doesn't know whether he was bodily caught up into heaven, whether he was in his body. It was just a vision that he had. His body remained on earth and he, he, in the spirit he was in heaven. But he received revelations there. Visions of the things of God and these revelations, he was not permitted to share. He didn't share them with everybody. They were things between him and God. Now, why was Paul given such great revelations if they were not meant to be shared? Well, we see in Scripture that those who have to suffer a great deal for God are often the ones who are given great revelations to strengthen them, to give them the faith. To continue even in the midst of their suffering, and Paul certainly had a great deal of suffering in his life, and so Paul was not going to boast as the false prophets did about the content of these revelations. He was not going to try to exalt himself above these false apostles. He was going to boast about his weaknesses. He says in verse five, "I will boast about a man like I, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except." about my weaknesses even if i should choose to boast i would not be a fool because i would be speaking the truth but i refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted but what i do and say or say because of these surpassing or because of these surpassingly great revelations And so the false apostles were using their so-called visions and revelations to exalt themselves and say, well, I had this great revelation. I was taken to heaven and I saw this and I saw that. And they were promoting themselves. They were promoting their ministries. They were taking great pride in them. And Paul was saying here that even his true revelations were not something to be boasted in because they were God's gift. They were not due to anything that, that Paul had done to deserve them. Paul was saying that, He and every true apostle, every true minister should be judged by their ministry, by what they do and say, not by about supposed visions that nobody could verify. I mean, I could tell you this morning, I had a vision last night and this and this happened and how can you verify that? You can't. Um, And so you judge a spiritual leader by what they do and by what they say, not by so-called revelations or visions. Paul is going to continue to boast not about visions, revelations, but about his weaknesses. So what can we learn from these verses? Well, first of all, we talked uh, some time ago about false teachers, false prophets. They often use these unverified visions or revelations to boast about themselves. And oftentimes these Visions and revelations contain unbiblical error, at which shows they did not come from God. And so what, we must be careful not to be misled by the deception of false teachers who are very active in the world today. Now, the Bible does indicate that God speaks to people through dreams and visions. Acts chapter 2 says, In the last days, God's going to speak to people through dreams and visions. And so he does that. But we need to be careful not to boast about any dreams or revelations. Oftentimes, if God does give you a revelation or a dream or vision, it's, it's to strengthen yourself. It may not be to be shared with other people. It may be private guidance for you. And if it should be shared, if God gives you permission to share it, it should be in humility and it certainly must be judged by God's word. Now, one major theme in Paul's life, and across the whole New Testament, is a theme that I talk about from time to time of the already and not yet. For Christians, we've experienced blessings in God. We've been saved. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We've tasted of God's miracles in many different ways. And yet, there's a whole category of not yet. Not yet have we been released from all sin. Not yet have we been released from all pain. Not yet have we been released from tears. Not yet have we been released from suffering. Not yet have we been released from bodies aging and eventually dying. Those are reserved for heaven. Those are reserved for when Jesus returns again. But the false teachers of paul's day and often some false teachers today teach we can have it all right now if you have enough faith you can accomplish anything if you have enough faith you'll never be sick if you have enough faith you can be enormously wealthy if you have enough faith you can have whatever you want you just name it and you claim it and you can have it well that's not what the bible teaches we are to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our goal is to bring heaven to earth, but that's not going to happen in its fullness until Jesus returns. And so in the meantime, we pray, we work for God's kingdom to come. We must be humble. We must be submitted to God's plan and purpose for our lives. We must be willing, as Paul was, to endure suffering for the sake of the kingdom. Believing In him for the not yet to happen when he returns. And so God's plan plan is to keep you humble. Is to keep me humble. To keep all of us humble. And God's plan for Paul was to keep him humble. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7 says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, an angel of Satan, to torment me. And so because of Paul's great revelations, he was tempted to become conceited. He was tempted by the enemy to become prideful, to begin to boast about these incredible visions and revelations that God had given him. And so in order to keep Paul humble, God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh, it says here, to torment him. Now, what was the result of Paul being under attack, of he, him having, being tormented, of having a lot of problems in his life. Well, those things drew Paul closer to God. Those things caused him not to trust in himself, but put his trust in God. It's not in the Bible there's a common saying, you know, there's no atheists in foxholes. You know when you're in trouble, when your life is on the line, it draws you closer to God. You pray, you ask for God's help. You you don't feel prideful. You you are humbled because you know you can't handle it yourself. And so this thorn in the flesh was given to Paul to keep him from being conceited. Now let's examine this thorn in the flesh a, a little more closely. There's a voluminous literature about what was Paul's thorn in the flesh. I mean, you could spend a lifetime reading all the options of what people think this thorn in the flesh was. None have given a convincing answer. I think the current favorite is some type of lifelong illness. Now, perhaps an eye disease. But unfortunately, this interpretation that Paul's thorn in the flesh was some lifelong illness he couldn't get rid of, he had to endure, makes many people lose faith makes many people consider their trial as my thorn in the flesh. I have to bear this thorn in the flesh. It's never going to be removed from me. I'm just going to have to live with it. And I've done some studying on this topic. I don't really think this is the correct interpretation, even though it's a common one today. And I'm going to explain what I think this passage is about. If we simply look at verse 7, I believe God's Word tells us what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Paul's thorn in the flesh, and the NIV I have crossed out here, I'll tell you why in a minute, says was a messenger of Satan to torment him. And so Paul's thorn in the flesh was a messenger of Satan. Now the Greek word for torment means to beat with a fist. It means to be roughly treated. It's only used in the New Testament uh, of Jesus, the people who crucified Jesus of them, beating him uh, before he was put on the cross. It's used of people who are persecuting believers. That's the type of torment that is spoken of here. Now, the Greek word for messenger is angelos. And you can guess what that means. It's translated as angel hundreds of times in the New Testament. It's only translated as a messenger in a few passages where It's obviously referring to a human being, a human messenger. And so here, I believe it should be translated as angel. It's an angel of Satan. What is an angel of Satan? It's a demon. Uh, Some type of evil principality and power who attacked and tormented Paul in many different ways. That was Paul's thorn in the flesh. Now, how was Paul tormented? You just simply need to go back to chapter 11. I've suggested that you read it and you'll see a whole list of the difficulties that Paul had in his life. He was put into prison. He was flogged. He was stoned. He was beaten with rods. He was shipwrecked. And the list just goes on. We could spend many minutes talking about these lists. And so I believe God himself gave or allowed this demonic power access to buffet, Paul, to torment him in order to keep him humble. What did Paul do about it? Well, we see he prayed and he learned that God says no to prayers that are not in his will. Verse eight, three times I pleaded with the Lord that he might remove him from me. And so Paul prayed three times. Who else prayed three times that something might be removed from him? Jesus three times in the Garden of Gethsemane that this cup, he would not have to drink the cup of the crucifixion. So three times Paul prayed to, uh, and he prayed that the Lord would remove this angel of Satan from him. Again, I believe this is somewhat of a mistranslation in the NIV and you know I don't normally do this. I don't want people not to trust their Bibles but sometimes uh, sometimes one has to look a little more closely. The word it, the NIV has... Uh, To take it away, the word it is not in the Greek. The Greek word for remove always requires a personal object such as him and not it. Uh, So a better translation is, I pleaded with the Lord that he might remove him from me. And what is him? Who is him? This angel of Satan, uh, this demonic uh, force. Now, when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane that God would remove this cup of suffering from him, was that prayer answered? Well, it was answered, but God said no, right? That, that's an answer, remember. God said no, and Jesus uh, ended those prayers saying, not my will, but yours be done. I, I really don't want to do this. I'm asking you to take it away, but I submit to your will, God. I'm going to go through with it because you're not answering my prayer to take the cup away. In the case of Paul, it was not God's will to remove this demonic um, being, this demonic warfare from his life. It had a purpose. It was keeping Paul humble. In fact, the conflict was making, as we'll see, Paul stronger. Paul speaks in Ephesians 6.12 of wrestling. Was he wrestling with people? No, he speaks in Ephesians 6.12 of wrestling with demonic powers in spiritual warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so after Paul prayed three times and nothing happened, his prayer was not answered in the affirmative, God spoke to him and said that his power, God's power, is perfected in our weakness. In your weakness. Verse 9 and 10, but he that is God said to me, Paul's writing this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And so God spoke to Paul. He said that even though your prayer isn't going to be answered, my grace is going to be with you. I'm going to be there empowering you to complete your mission. God's power was made perfect in Paul's weakness. Paul's weakness was having to endure this onslaught, this ongoing torment, this ongoing buffeting from this demonic from Satan's demon. And so just as Jesus accepted God's refusal to to have him bypass the cross, so Paul now boasted in his weakness. He boasted in his weakness. He accepted the no that God had told him. He said, okay, I'm going to boast in it. All these things that this angel of Satan has brought into my life, I'm going to boast about them. And here he began to do that. I boast, I delight. What? In weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. These are the things that this angel of Satan was bringing into his life and he began to boast about him because he knew all those things kept him humble. All those things caused him to realize that he was weak. All those things caused him to realize he needed God's strength. And as he relied in God, as he relied in Christ's power, he was really strong. And so what's the application for us today? Well, sometimes the answer to our prayers from God is no. Even if we're praying to be relieved of some suffering, some torment, did Paul enjoy being stoned? Would you enjoy being flogged, being shipwrecked, almost drowned? I mean, you can go through the list. But there was a purpose of God for those things in Paul's life. Why does God say no to our prayers sometimes? Because His will and purpose is better than our will. We ask according to our will and God says, No, I've got a better plan. I've got a better plan for you. And so we live in the already and not yet time until Jesus returns. And in that time, the Bible calls them the last days. We are going to have suffering. We are going to have hardships of various kinds. We, if we choose to live holy in Christ, Jesus are going to have persecutions from those who are not believers. And oftentimes the instigator of the hardships in our life is our enemy, Satan. And the forces under him, the demonic forces under him. And so in these last days, we will wrestle against principalities and powers, evil principalities and powers of the enemy. And so battle is not for the faint of heart. Battle will keep you humble. Battle will keep you praying. Battle will keep you dependent on God. And so if you ask God, take me out of the battle, what answer are you going to get to that prayer? No. Because we're going to be in battle all of our lives here on this earth. Now, how did Paul know to not keep on praying for God to remove this thorn in the fresh? He played once, got no answer. He played twice, got no answer, prayed three times, and the Thorn in the flesh, the angel of Satan was not removed. How did he know to stop praying? Well, after the third time he prayed, God spoke to him. God spoke to him and said, Paul, the answer is no. I didn't say it exactly like that, but that's what was implied. Paul, the answer is no, and here are the reasons. I've allowed this to come into your life to keep you humble. You're going to have to deal with it. I'm going to be there to help you. You're going to fulfill my plan and purpose for your life but I'm not going to take this away. I still love you. I'm going to be with you. My plan is the very best plan that you could have for your life. Now, let's think about us today. If you don't read your Bible very much, if you're erratic in church attendance, if you don't regularly pray, you're going to have uh, a lot of prayers that aren't answered, a lot of prayers where God says says no. And why is that? Because, number one, you're not going to have much faith. Number two, you're probably going to have a fair amount of sin in your life. And number three, you're not really sure what God's will is. So a lot of the things you pray for are simply what you want, not what God wants for you. And so you're going to have a lot of no answers to your prayers. But if you're walking faithfully with God, if you're reading your Bible and praying each and every day, if you're repenting of all known sin in your life, you're not going to have a lot of no answers from God. There are a few others that Paul got as we read through where the, God said no, but there aren't many recorded. They're going to be the exception to the rule. Most of your prayers should be answered. Of course, there was a variety of answers the way God answers prayers, remember? There was the wait. It's happening gradually. Um, I'm forgetting all of them right now. Uh, Wait, it happens gradually. And... uh, What was the other one? Okay. Yeah, well, I kind of covered it. If you don't have faith, you have to get your faith to go better. So if we're we're walking with God, we're going to be praying according to God's will, and our prayers are going to be answered. And so on the rare occasion, and it's going to happen to all of us, where God does say no, we need to realize it's for our good. Not get angry at God, not get bitter at God. Not say, God, I'm through with you. And I, you know, every every year I hear talk to people who know somebody or are somebody who's angry at God because they prayed for something and God said no. They prayed for somebody to be healed and the person died. They prayed for something else, a job, and it didn't happen. And they get mad at God. When God does say no, we need to realize it's for our good. God's got a better plan than we can come up with. And some of the things we pray for are just our plan for our lives. But God's got a better plan. And we need to realize that the no answers we get from God sometimes are meant for our good. And we should be able to say along with Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. We need to be able to say along with Paul, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, your grace is sufficient for me. When I am weak, I know you're with me. Now, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the way Paul did, who talked to him all the time, day in and day out, To have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to do three things. You need to admit that you've sinned. You need to believe, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and commit your life to Him as your Lord and Savior. So let's bow our heads right now. We're going to pray a prayer. If you've never prayed a prayer like this, or you want to recommit your life to Him today, I'd encourage you to pray along with me something like this. Father, today I admit that I've sinned, I've done wrong things. I've been following my will for my life, not yours. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that I might be forgiven, took the punishment for our sin, for my sin. He rose from the dead three days later and I commit my life to following the living Christ as my Lord and Savior, to following His will and not my own. Thank you for... Saving me. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the gift of prayer, the ability to be able to communicate with the Creator of the universe. We thank you for the open door to ask you for miracles, to work in our lives, to work in situations, to work in other people's lives that you might be glorified. Forgive us, God, for sometimes not having the faith to ask you to move supernaturally. Help us, God, to have the faith to pray for miracles. Help us to pray and not give up until the answer comes. May we pray both for our own needs and for those around us who need your touch as well. And when your answer to our prayer is, wait, God, may we have the patience to keep praying until the answer comes. When the answer, God, is yes, we pray that we give you the glory, that we tell others about what you've done in our lives. So that their faith might be enhanced and strengthened. And when your answer to our prayer is no, God. When your answer to us is no, may, may we pray like Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. May we submit our will to your will. Help us to truly have the same attitude that Paul had, that when I am weak. May I submit my will to yours that I might be strong. That your power might rest on me. That you might help me in my weakness as I depend on you. As I bow my knee to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.